I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Uh, up to this point, we have camped out in Mark chapter 10 longer than any chapter in Mark that I've preached so far. And uh, as I look at my outline and I look ahead, I don't know that we'll spend any more time in any one chapter as much time as we're spending in Mark chapter 10. But if you'll remember when we began this chapter, I told you it was all about kingdom building and kingdom discipleship. Jesus was all about building the kingdom of God right here, right now on this earth. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. I've came to usher in the kingdom of God. And that's what he's been doing. He's been teaching and leading his disciples. The crowds have been coming. People have been coming. And Jesus has been loving them and teaching them and leading them. It's all about the kingdom of God. And that's not going to change today. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon entitled, Like a Little Child. That was from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And if you'll remember, uh, in that passage, Jesus, he welcomed the little children. The disciples, they were ready to, to push the children out of the way and to tell mamas and daddies, hey, look, we got other things to do. But Jesus, he welcomed those children. He received those children and he blessed them. I mean, he poured out his blessings upon those children. And if you'll remember, after his disciples rebuked the parents of those children, this is what Jesus told his disciples. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, he taught his disciples about the grace of God, about the mercy of God, and about the love of God, and he taught them what it would take to enter the kingdom of God, to enter into eternal life. Jesus taught us in that passage that we have to come to him helplessly. We come to him helplessly. There's no one who can love you like Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something, there's no one who can save you but Jesus. I don't know how many of you came in this place today, and, and, and maybe you came in with this attitude, maybe you came in uh, with this lie, because I believe Satan, uh, he spawns this lie. I believe there's some people that came in this building today, and you think that you're a problem that needs to be fixed. If you feel that way, I want you to know that's a lie of Satan. You are not a problem who needs to be fixed. You want to know who you are? You're a child of God who needs to be saved. God created you in His image. He breathed His life into you. The Bible says we are all sinners, that we all, we fall short of the glory of God, and so we choose sinfulness. And it separates us from God. But it doesn't change the fact that you belong to God. God created you in His image, and He wants you. And He loves you. He loves you so much that He's made a way for you to be right with Him, and the way's name is Jesus. And so you're not a problem who needs to be fixed. You're a sinner who needs to be saved. You're a child of God who needs to be loved. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus loves you. We sing the song all the time, Jesus loves the little children. You know how many times he looks at his disciples and this is how he talks to them? He says, hey, children. It's not to belittle them or demean them. It's that he looks at them in their helplessness. And he loves them right where they are. And we're going to see that, that Jesus, he continues to teach today about the kingdom of God. Not just people that come to him, he continues to teach his disciples like little children. 
I'm going to tell you what we're going to learn today. I want to go ahead and show you this before we get to the Scriptures. Number one, you and I, we do not come to Jesus with anything in and of ourselves. You can't bring Jesus your list, right, of tithes. You can't bring Jesus your list of how many times you made it to Sunday school. You can't bring any of that to Jesus and impress Him. You can't come to Jesus with anything in and of yourself. Listen, my education don't impress Jesus. My pedigree, and my money, my status don't impress Jesus. Listen, we don't come to Jesus boasting on who we are and what we've done. No, we come empty-handed to Jesus. Empty-handed to Jesus. We come helplessly, we come humbly like a child. The Bible tells us when we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus by way of God's amazing grace through faith. That's not my words. That's the Word of God. Listen to this. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's anybody and everybody. That's anybody and everybody who has ever lived. That's anybody and everybody who's living today. And that's anybody and everybody who will live tomorrow. None of us can come to Jesus with anything in and of ourselves and earn salvation or even deserve salvation. It is the gift of God, the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Period. So right after Jesus taught his disciples about how to enter the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom of God, you have to enter like a little child. A man comes to him. I want you to know that this passage of Scripture, uh, it is in both Matthew and Luke's version as well. All three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell this story of a rich young ruler, a rich young man who comes to Jesus, and he comes to Jesus with one question, with one wanting. Let's look at it. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at that question again. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him in verse 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, look at him in verse 20. Teacher, he declared, All of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now look, you may read verse 20 and say, man, this, this guy is full of himself, right? Because who in the world can keep all the commandments? I'll tell you who in the world can keep all the commandments. Jesus, period, exclamation point. Nobody else can. You might look at that and say, how could this guy say that? He is so full of himself. But look at verse 21 because I want you to see how Jesus hears him and looks at him. Look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him, and what's the next phrase? And loved him. That's important. 
Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. And verse 22 could be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, like I said, this, this story, this passage is also shared in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. In Matthew's account, he's the one that tells us that this was a young man. In Luke's account, he's the one that tells us he was a ruler. And so when you put all three accounts together, this was a rich young man, a rich young ruler. And what that means is this was a man who had power, he had possessions, he had prestige, he had prominence in his community. And I want to tell you, this man, he went to the right person with his question and with his wanting. He went to the right person, and I'm going to tell you this, he went with the right posture. Because I want you to look at this. Of all the people he could have turned to, of all the places he could have run, he ran to Jesus. He ran to Jesus, and he fell on his knees before Jesus. He must have known who Jesus was. He must have heard the message that Jesus had been teaching and preaching, and so he fell on his knees before Jesus, showing his humility for Jesus, showing his respect for the good teacher. And he had a question. It was a sincere question. It was a sincere longing, a sincere wanting. And so he went to the right person, and he even went with the right posture. And this is how Jesus responds to him. So the man, he wants to know, how can I inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love this because Jesus, as he always does, as we see in the Scriptures, Jesus challenged this man. Not only did he challenge this man, but he answered this man. And most importantly, he loved this man. Now, I don't know about you, but many times we think of challenges in a negative sense, right? When, when I say, I want to challenge you, what's your first response to that? It's defensive, isn't it? Uh-oh. <laughs> what do I have to do? What, what's going to happen? Uh, you know I love to run, and, and so this weekend I had to run a lot of miles, and I knew the challenge before me. And I'm going to tell you, it, it was scary. When I looked at it on paper, I was like, man, I don't want to do this, especially in Louisiana, especially in August. Because it is hot and it is humid. But I looked at the challenge, and here's what I said. This challenge is for my good. It's not just going to help me today. Yes, it may hurt a little bit today, but it's going to help me tomorrow. And it's going to help me in the long run. And so when I see a challenge come from the Word of God, when I see a challenge in the Bible, I look at it from a kingdom perspective. Because I know that when Jesus issues a challenge, it is for my good. And so Jesus, He challenges this man, answers this man, and He loves this man. Notice, He never ridiculed this man. Did you notice that? How many of us, when this man came with that attitude, well, I've kept all of those commands since I was a little boy, how many of us would have immediately chastised him? How many of us would have immediately ridiculed him? Probably all of us, if we were honest. 
we would probably go, boy, <laughs> please. Notice that Jesus didn't chastise him. Jesus didn't ridicule him. The man called Jesus good teacher. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about this. Whether this man intended the meaning or not, in that day, Jews only used the term good in reference to Almighty God. Did you know that? When they used the word good in, in, in response to a person, it was only God. That's the only time they used the word good was with Almighty God. Now, Jesus is, of course, God in flesh. He is God on earth. Did the man just say this or did he believe this? I believe what Jesus did in the way that he spoke to the man, right? When he listed out the commandments, when he challenged the man to take all that money, all those possessions, sell it, and then give it away. I believe when Jesus challenged this man, what he was doing, he was challenging the terminology that came out of his mouth, and he was changing the theology that was embedded in his heart and in his mind. Now, we know that this rich young ruler knows the commandments. He knows the commandments. As a matter of fact, the man tells Jesus, I've kept them. Do you know what that word kept means? That means obey. When he says, I've kept them, it means I have obeyed them. And so, Jesus answers quickly with this. One thing you lack. In other words, the man... He believed he had done what was necessary to gain eternal life, to achieve eternal life. Even if he had somehow kept the last six commandments, what Jesus shows him is that you have already broken one. (laughs) Even though you may have kept the six that I just named, you've already shown me that you've broken one. And what one is that? I'll tell you. It's the first one. You know what it says in Exodus chapter 20? The very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. So after Jesus challenged him to go and sell everything, give it to the poor, to exchange these earthly treasures that we hold on to so tightly, not just with our hands but with our hearts, to exchange these earthly treasures for heavenly treasures, the saddest verse in the Bible In my opinion, verse 22, the man went away sad because he had great wealth. I love what Dr. Daniel Aiken says in his commentary. Dr. Daniel Aiken says, this man's wealth occupied the place in his heart that only God should have. His wealth was his idol. His wealth was his God. Jesus in speaking to this man. And again, I want, you to, I want you to hone in on how Jesus welcomed this man. He received this man, and Jesus blessed him with the truth. Jesus didn't ridicule him. He didn't chastise him. He didn't send him away. No, Jesus wanted this man's heart. That's what he wanted. Jesus looked at him and loved him, and so Jesus... He clearly teaches the man that he could not achieve eternal life. But rather he had to receive eternal life. Do you understand the difference? The the difference in achieving and receiving? See, achieving means you did it. 
Receiving means it was a gift. And Jesus is, is teaching him. His money couldn't buy him eternal life. His power and his prestige and his prominence could not gain him eternal life. His works, obeying some of the commandments, could not earn him eternal life. It could not be achieved. It had to be received. And that's what Jesus was teaching this, this rich young ruler, this rich young man. And I believe he was teaching his disciples that day. And I believe he was teaching everybody that day. You might sit here and say, well, Brother Jeff, how do you receive eternal life? That's the question, right? The question that the rich young ruler came with is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Here's the better way to ask that question. How do I receive eternal life? Since I can't achieve it, since I can't earn it, since I don't deserve it, Brother Jeff, what must I do? It's real simple. It's not Jeff's plan. It's God's. Here's how you receive eternal life. You must declare with your mouth and you must believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me say that again. You must declare with your mouth and you must believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Don't you love that? Listen, I can't preach enough sermons to be right with God. You can't come enough Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. You can't sign up for heartfelt enough. You can't sign up for women's treats enough. You can't do anything to earn or deserve salvation. It is a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to know. That's what we need to preach and teach and profess with our mouths. I don't deserve God's salvation I have never earned it, and I never will. But, oh boy, I have received it. Why? Because I declare with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and I believe in my heart that He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He bled for me and for my sins, and He rose from the grave to defeat sin and death so that I might live fully and eternally. I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. But I'm going to tell you something. I have received it, thank God. Nothing and no one can ever change my eternity because God's got it. I look at verses 21 and 22 in this passage and I look at, man, this is the best scripture in the Bible and right behind it could be the worst. <laughs> could be the worst. Jesus loved that man. Right there where he was. Right? Right there where he was. Sinful. Confused. Idol worshiper. Because that's who he was. He was an idol worshiper. He was worshiping his wealth. But Jesus loved him. Jesus shared the truth with him. And what we see in this passage of Scripture is free will. 
God will never make you or make me receive his salvation. We choose. And this man chose to walk away from Jesus. In other words, he rejected the truth. He rejected Jesus. And the Bible says he walked away sad. Why did he walk away sad? Because his money had him. His wealth had him. Listen, he didn't have wealth. Wealth had him. Wealth had him. His attitude towards his wealth was, it'll save me. It'll get me where I need to go. It'll get me what I want. Jesus said, no, it won't. And the man said, yes, it will. And he walked away. So sad. What makes it sad is that there are so many people doing the same thing today. And and whether it's wealth, or whether it's education, or whether it's status, look at me and look who I am and look what I've done. There are so many people today that are worshiping idols and relying on idols to give them life. Not just here and now, but life eternal. I'm going to just tell you something. The only one who can give you life to the full and life eternal is Jesus Christ. Nothing else and no one else. Jesus looked around. Look at verse 23. The man walked away and I believe Jesus was broken hearted. I really do believe that because Jesus loved him. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, and look at what he says. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible but not with God. All things are possible with God. I believe this is one of the passages of Scripture that gets taken out of context so many times. We're talking about salvation here. We're not talking about your plans and your desires and your dreams and your schemes and your wishes. This is all about salvation, nothing else. So let's don't Let's don't say, oh, with God all things are possible. I can go be this and I can go be that. That is not what this scripture is about. This scripture is about your eternity. Nothing else. And with eternity, it's impossible for you and it's impossible for me. And I don't care how many degrees we got. I don't care how much money we got in the bank or we don't got in the bank. I don't care how many positions we serve on. Ministry team this, ministry team that. I'm going to tell you something. Salvation between me and you in and of ourselves, impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You know what that means? Any person, any place, any time, God can save. The disciples said, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them with man. This is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. (laughs) You know it's going to say that, right? Then Peter spoke up. But I'm going to tell you, Peter wasn't speaking with arrogance. Peter recognized What just happened? This man walked away from Jesus and took his wealth and his status and his prestige and his power with him. Peter recognized there was a difference. Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. 
Think about that for just a minute. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mother, uh, children, fields, along with, what's that next word? Persecutions. Isn't that an Isn't that a weird word to find in this list? And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I love this because when the rich young ruler came, Jesus challenged him, Jesus answered him, and Jesus loved him. And what we know about Jesus is that he loved his disciples. He loved them. And when they had questions, he answered them. But what we see in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus challenged them too. Jesus challenged his disciples. Mark tells us that the disciples were amazed at Jesus' words. And and in their amazement, their question was, uh, who then can be saved? Like, Like, how is this possible? Let me tell you where their question comes from. Do you remember? And if you study the Scriptures, you'll see this. Listen, the Bible even shows us this in some of the, some of the Proverbs and some of the Psalms. In their culture, people's wealth, people's riches, people's status, even people's health were assumed to be evidences of God's acceptance of them and even blessings upon them. Dr. Tony Evans says this, The problem is not wealth in and of itself. The problem is a wealthy person who trusts in his or her wealth. Did you hear that? The problem is not the wealth. It's the person who trusts in the wealth. Jesus was telling them the truth. It's not about what man can do for God. It's about what God can do, has done for man. Jesus was teaching his disciples, right? Peter, Peter, again, almost patting himself on the back, but not in an abrasive way, says, hey, we, we've left everything for you, Jesus. Like, we're with you, man. <laughs> we've left everything. And Jesus understands what he means by everything. They left their mamas and daddies. They left their, their children, their family, their friends. They left their houses. They left their occupations, which, you know, they were probably loved and were good at. But they, they obeyed the call to follow Jesus. But Jesus is reminding them right here, it's worth it. You hear me? It's worth it. See, salvation is from God. And it is for mankind. There is absolutely no way a man can achieve salvation. Man can only receive salvation. With man, it is impossible, but with God, it is possible. He can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. Again, I want to turn back to Paul. I love the book of Romans. And I've already given you a reference from Romans chapter 10. We declare with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our hearts, that God raised Him from the dead. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, in other words, when we couldn't do anything to help ourselves to save ourselves, 
just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you thankful that that says Christ died for the ungodly? Because if it didn't say Christ died for the ungodly, you and I are in trouble. Because I'm going to tell you something. You may look in the mirror and, and think, man, I'm good. Let me tell you, compared to the righteousness of Christ, you're a filthy rag, and so am I. And that's our best. We are ungodly. None of us, none of us are godly. None of us are righteous in and of ourselves. How dare we think that we're better than this one or that one? We are in the same state as this one and that one. But don't you love this? At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. I want to take that word ungodly out and I want to put Jeff right there. All right? While Jeff was still powerless, Christ died for Jeff. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? That's some of the best scripture in the Bible. Jesus teaches his disciples and he teaches us salvation is from God and it is for you. In other words, you don't achieve it. You you don't earn it. You certainly don't deserve it. You receive it. It's God's gift. But Jesus also teaches us that following Him comes with costs. And this is where, to use an old cliche, this is where the rubber hits the road. Following Jesus comes with a cost. Jesus has already told us in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, see, I've already preached this sermon, but I do want to tell you this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. How easy is that? What's your favorite food? You already got it, probably in your mind. If you had a last meal, what's your last meal you're going to eat? Right? Best food. Ooh, you can smell it. Hmm? Your mouth's already watering. Right? Push it away. You can't have it. You can't have it. Deny yourself. That's a little simple thing, right? A little simple thing. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross. The cross is not some pretty little gold thing you hang around your neck. Okay? It's not some pretty little design that you you work into your your shirt, your t-shirt design. Let me tell you what the cross is. It's an emblem of death. That's what it is. It's an emblem of death. It signifies death. Not just death, but humiliating, excruciating, painful death. So Jesus, here's what he says. You want to be my disciple? Okay, deny yourself. Take up the cross. And then follow me. See, following Jesus comes with costs. Peter speaks up and he shows us the difference between the disciples and the rich young ruler. The disciples, they were denying themselves. They were taking up the cross. They were going to the hard places. They were having the hard conversations. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But they were with the perfect one. Mm. That's a whole other sermon. 
The disciples left everything to follow Jesus, their homes, their families, their friends, and their occupations. It costs. But you know what Jesus says? Following Him comes with blessings. It comes with blessings. As God's children are serving in God's kingdom, what we see is we see that they share in all that belongs to Jesus. Again, these aren't my words. These are God's words. Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by that sonship, we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are now God's children. And listen to this, verse 17. Now, if we are God's children, then we are His heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glories. I'm going to tell you, as a Christ follower, I'm blessed in this life. As a Christ follower, you are blessed in this life. Listen, right here, right now, we have full life in Jesus Christ. Not only that, we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And I, when I think about blessings, I, I, I think about good things, don't you? Right? Think about the fellowship we have. Th- think about the hard times when we got somebody to walk beside us and walk with us. And pick us up when we can't pick ourselves up. Man, when I think about blessings, I think about those kinds of things. I don't think about persecutions, do you? I've never really considered persecutions blessings. But Jesus, he tells them, you're going to be blessed a hundred times over in this life and the next, along with persecutions. Maybe that's why Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Why don't we lose heart? Why does Paul say, therefore, we do not lose heart? I'll tell you why. Because Paul knew, he knows who he is, and he knows whose he is. And so the beatings and the prisons, as painful as it may be, as hard as it may be, he doesn't lose sight. I know who I am, and I know whose I am. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Here it is, verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Oh, that is so good. Jesus, he reminds his disciples, he reminds his followers that we live a life of service And we live a life of sacrifice, and it is so worth it. It is so worth it. What have you given up to follow Jesus? If you have a hard time answering that, you need to pray. What have you given up to follow Jesus? What are you giving up to follow Jesus? Here's another question. What do you find that it's difficult to give up? To follow Jesus. That's that's what we see in this passage of Scripture. I'm going to tell you, living a life of service and living a life of sacrifice, that's not natural. That's not natural. When's the last time you drove up to Burger King and said, hey, what can I do for you? Anybody ever done that? What What can I do for you? Let me rephrase that. Maybe you've done this. Hey, before I order my food, how can I pray for you? 
You've been stressed today? Well, I'm not going to be a stress for you. I'm going to be a stress reliever. How can I pray for you? Mm. See, service and sacrifice, that's not, that's not our earthly nature. You know what that is? That's a heavenly nature. That's a spiritual nature. And Jesus reminds his disciples, because if you'll remember, we've already had this discussion, and we'll keep having this discussion. The disciples wanted to know who was going to sit on Jesus' left and who's going to sit on his right. When they walked into a room, they were jockeying for position. Who's going to sit by Jesus? Who's going to sit close to Jesus? The disciples were still, still struggling with who's going to be first and who's going to be last. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, the first will be last and the last will be first. In other words, you're still living with your earthly nature, boys. You've got you to you flip the script here and we're going to be thinking with a spiritual nature. So I want to end today with three questions. I'm not going to give you three answers. <laughs> I'm going I'm to end today's service with three questions. Number one, is Jesus enough for you? Think about that for just a minute. Is Jesus enough for you? Are you doubting your salvation? Are you battling in your spirit about salvation? My question is, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for you when it comes to salvation? Number two, are you relying on Jesus? Are you relying on Jesus or are you relying on self? Are you relying on your works and your deeds and your time and your talent? Is Jesus enough for you? Are you relying on Jesus? And then thirdly and lastly, are you satisfied in Jesus? Are you satisfied in Jesus? So, so many, so many of us today, we are tired. We're hurting. But we're smiling. And we, we, we keep on coming. And we keep on doing and doing and doing. And then we go home. And the church people ain't around us no more. And we think to ourselves, man, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Is Jesus enough? Are you relying on Jesus? Are you satisfied in Jesus? Because I'm going to tell you, that's where the full life is. That's where the eternal life is. It's in nothing else. It's in no one else. it's, It's not in the church. It's not of the church. It's in Jesus. It's of Jesus. It's not in your family name. It's not of your family name. It's in Jesus. It's of Jesus. There's no other full life. There's no other eternal life. Only in Jesus. The rich young ruler walked away sad. I wonder how many of us are going to walk out those doors the same way.